is that? What the fuck if I Subject two? Mm -hmm. I have no idea. In real estate? Yeah. I don't even know what that means in school, so I don't know. I have no idea what you're talking about. No idea. <laughs> so Renting houses, like, with some type of... I, I, I can't tell you. That's all I've never heard of. Like. I say when, like, people, like, get in the lives or don't follow with the rules, so then they get, like, text from Airbnb. Oh, Airbnb arbitrage. Oh. Is that where Airbnbs are taking over? Oh, that's when you uh, rent out, you, you like own like an apartment maybe, like downtown, and you rent it out to, uh, to people, like you stay there for a certain amount of time. I have no idea. I totally, I guess I'm the glue on all this stuff. I'm <laughs> catching up. <laughs> I know Airbnb, arbitrage. Crazy I, got I got nothing. Kind of like, you know, uh, basically using some type of like loans or something, like to get yeah, a house basically and like have a loan payout. I, I don't know. I don't know a whole thing about it, but I, I've heard of it before. Like. House packing, I guess, when you guys have like a security system and people like go into database and take all your information. What is house hacking? It's not slumming. Uh, house hacking would be, um, is it the same as uh, like when you don't leave? House hacking, uh, it's when you like, You know, bro, come on. I don't, know, I don't know. House hacking. House hacking. Oh, I imagine somebody trying to get into your security system on your house. <laughs> Probably, for, to me, that sounds like charging too much for rent. Anything about exchanges, I know that's like a marketplace, so 1031 might be just some sort of marketplace that is uh, directly tied to let's see, 1031. Um, that is when at 1031 um, I exchange money for my weed. 1031 exchange, okay, that is that's some kind of government grant. Something to do with taxes. Hard money. Um, I want to say like cash. What is hard money? Cash. Money that you uh, that you work hard for. Coin. Uh, so something that's actually tangible. So it's usually well, it's not backed by gold anymore. But yeah, it's not cryptocurrency. It's actually tangible money. Make it hard to get. I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> Understanding cash on cash is like kind of money type of money. Basically, that's that's my that's my understanding. Double down, nothing. <laughs> what is cash on cash? Is that like prostitution? Cash on cash. Cash. I feel like I've heard that before, but that's what some people thought. Oh God, is that when people talk about monetizing? 
uh, when they try to mon take money out of something, if I'm not mistaken. So I think it's where they try to monetize something that really doesn't have value. Capri, um, you're set at like a certain minimum and you can't go above that rate. A cap rate is where they uh, cap off the amount of money they can charge you. Cap rate? So that's like when, oh, I, I believe that's when you're like financing your house. It's the, the highest the rate could be. Is that the, like the, the final? Would you say like it's it tops it off kind of thing? That's all I got. That's all I got. Welcome, welcome everybody. This is James Brown. I'm your host of This Month in Real Estate Investing. This is our first episode and uh, might be a little shaky as we get off the ground here, but uh, we'll get through it and uh, I'm super excited. So uh, what we're going to do, kind of the background on this show, we're going to have a panel of guests, uh, myself and three guests that are real estate investors. And we're gonna go through some of the top news stories in uh, for this month. And so I'm gonna kind of read off a couple of the ones we're gonna talk about today. Uh, one is how climate change could affect the future of real estate investing. There's a lot of factors that, that go into that. Um, then real estate investing app Finto raised $6.2 million at an $80 million valuation. And we'll get into what that app is and how that could be changing real estate investing. And then the next one is how much you would have made or lost investing in real estate at the height of the market in 2007, which has bearing on where we're going now. Um, so with that, uh, let's jump into it. we're back. So I wanted to introduce our, our first guests, starting off with David Randolph III. He's a very experienced investor. And I'm just going to let everybody introduce themselves uh, after I can name everybody. Uh, then we've got David and Katie Hughes and Tim Winfrey, Tim Winfrey Jr. Uh, so do you guys want to just jump in, David Randolph, just give a short bio? What, uh, 
five minutes or less or one minute or less <laughs> we've got two hours but we got a lot to cover so yeah yeah let's well, keep it keep it under five i guess what i'll do is i'll just give my you remember the when we used to have those things called ria meetings you know before the pandemic we would go and network at real life locations i guess i'll give my 90 second um you know networking thing in the group that we would do when we're shaking hands and introducing so hi my name's david randolph um, i rehab about five to ten houses a year um, all my renovated houses have sold in seven days or less atlas price or higher uh, for 12 years so they're drop dead gorgeous houses um, i make 50 to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars profit on each house now, these are just houses, uh, $250,000 houses uh, here in St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and so I do this, though, by negotiating short sales. So my method of buying is short sales. And so this is not on the MLS with a realtor, but rather as an investor entrepreneur, I work with a homeowner and negotiate with the bank uh, to get a really low price on the house. Um, I've actually been uh, blessed to... Uh, have over $3 million in cash in my retirement accounts from real estate. And so I'm also a hard money lender. Okay. And we can define that if that those people really mess that up, you know, the hard money lender uh, intro you just played, but I'm a hard money lender and my heart and passion is to help new rehabbers get started. So I lend them all the money to buy the house all the money to fix the house up, all the money for the points on the loan, and all the money for the monthly interest payments. Because uh, I want new rehabbers to get started. There's no tax returns, no credit check. Um, I also now teach short sales to other people. Uh, you know, people go like, wow, like, you know, uh, Mary's, uh, she's shaking her head. You know, wow, yeah, that's exciting. You know, it's, and so now people have come to me about three years ago and said, teach me how to do short sales. So now I am a short sale uh, educator and coach, and I love it. To be honest with you, I'm actually cutting my rehabs down from 10 a year to five a year because I love teaching people uh, short sales. Some of my best students, uh, we just closed four deals in the past two and a half months. Each one was over $100,000 profit on their very first short sale. So the banks are dumping the houses right now. So that's my you know longer version, I guess, of the intro uh, with it. But I'm a real estate investor who's been doing it for 12 years, enjoying it very much. Awesome. Thanks. David and Katie, you guys want to jump in? Sure. Well, first off, thanks for having us yes, here on you your so show. It's, a, it's an honor to be here and share anything we can of value to help the listeners. Um, so we appreciate you all putting this on and, and, and having us. And so um, this is my beautiful, amazing bride, Katie mm -hmm. Marie. We've been married seven years. We have a 16-month-old Gabriel the Great, we call him. Uh, <laughs> and we live in Sarasota, Florida. Um, we actually went down there on vacation, never left literally five years ago. And the reason I say that is because of real estate, right? We, where we have complete flexibility, freedom and mobility, right. To not be tied down geographically or any of those things. So real estate has been such a big passion of ours because it's been the vehicle to give us the freedom and the, the dream life and lifestyle, not only for ourselves, but free us up to really help others maximally. Like David was talking about, I loved what you said, man. I was already taking notes, David, on what you were sharing, man. We're going to have to connect online for sure and, and collaborate on things and, and all of you guys. But um, so, yeah, the nutshell story for us is um, before we got married, before we met um, years ago, I just decided I wanted to live on the other side of money. I had seen the pain of limitations financially. My dad battled depression through the years and um, not working. And so I grew up 
where it was amazing parents, amazing family, but in the area of finances, it was, it was, you know, a lot of stress, strain, struggle and lack around, around money. And so I remember just making a decision. I didn't know how, I didn't know it was going to be real estate. I just remember making a decision that I wanted to live on the other side of money. Uh, where I wasn't working for money, trading time for money, but money was working for me. Mm -hmm. I had no idea how that was going to be the case. So all of you listeners just know you don't need to know how we're here to help you. Of course, talking about real estate, but that can be the vehicle for you, just like it's been for us and so many other people. But um, that's the key is make a decision. Everything else from there, I can reflect back our life. You know, the businesses that we own now, the real estate, the way we're able to impact more people than ever before and all that. <clears throat> is a direct result of that decision. And so for me, because of that decision, it led me to the rest of the decisions, right? The decision to get a mentor who had the results, the life, the knowledge, the, the fruit in their own life, financial freedom that I wanted. And so real estate happened to be that vehicle. And so just chose to be a sponge and, and learn from, you know, my mentor and others that um, had the results, the knowledge, the know-how, and just do what they told me to do, right? In the proven process. And so for us, what that's looked like in the realm of real estate has been mostly, we've flipped some properties along the way, but we've we've mostly been buy and hold residential real estate. So single, a lot of single family houses on annual rentals. We also have Airbnbs as well. Um, right now we're getting into apartments as well. So the, that's our focus. Um, and we're just passionate about, you know, real estate because it's not only given us the freedom, but able it's allowed us to help other people plug into it um and anything else you want to say and Betty? we're also doing some hard money lending as yeah well. we just started We've that as well just started that a few months ago and yeah so we have a company called simplified investing we do private group coaching for first-time real estate investors all the way up to extremely successful seasoned um investors and we have a weekly panel so we have um four other panelists and us that um are accessible to our students every single uh, day of the week, business days. And uh, yeah, we just love what we do. We're super passionate to help people utilize the vehicle of real estate to step into absolute financial overflow so that they can really pursue the dreams and passions that are on their hearts. Fantastic. You guys are doing all sorts of stuff. That's, that's great. Uh, all right, Tim Winfrey, you're up, buddy. Awesome. So first of all, thank you guys for having me. I'm absolutely stoked to be here. I'll try to keep this brief. Um, I'm second generation. So my old man's been selling houses since 1984. I'm a broker as well as an investor. I own a small brokers in the western suburbs of Chicago. Currently have five agents. I lean far heavier in the investing field than on the retail side. The retail is essentially a downsell um, because I tend to only work motivated sellers and you know, we do just about anything. So, I mean, over the past 11 years, we flipped over 100 properties. Um, I've also worked for an REO broker. So I've managed repairs on an additional 50 to 100 homes for Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac and things of that nature. Um, we practice wholesaling, creative financing, subject to. Um, and I also have a podcast where we interview five absolute real estate investing rock stars every week. So we are constantly growing our knowledge base and... Um, yeah, like I said, I'll keep it brief. Fantastic. Yeah, I love your podcast. Uh, I've been on it and I've watched other episodes and uh, you get some definite rock stars on there. It's, it's a great one. Thank you. Cool. Well, I'm psyched to have all you guys on here and dive into the news. Um, the show is sponsored uh, by Jason Palliser's two-day blueprint and REI contact.
content packs. Let me say that again, REI content packs. Um, so let's dive into the news. Let me pull up my doc. We got a lot. I know you guys were sent these new news items ahead of time, and there was a lot to read. Um, mm -hmm. So I'm just going to kind of summarize. And if if you guys, you know, have any comments on what else was in the article, um, that's what this show is about. So the first one is how climate change could affect the future of real estate investing. That was on Benzinga. That was the source. Um, so I know the in this article they talk about scenarios. So the Federal Emergency Management Agency conducted some simulations. Uh, one was called Phoenix, where they they kind of simulated what would happen: how many deaths, you know, missing people, homeless, economic costs, um, and it seems like gloom and doom. But when you really look at the reality of some of these storms that are hitting, you know their, their scenarios were pretty, pretty dead on. Um, you know, this, this last one, uh, 2 million people in Florida were without power for a long period of time. And, you know, storms are getting stronger and more frequent. So, um, and more storms like hitting at the same time, you know, so let's see, I guess, what are your thoughts? I'll, I'll, I'll keep reading this article and come up with some other, other questions, but what do you guys feel like? Well, David and Katie, you're in Florida. Like this yeah. affects you guys directly, right? Yeah. We're actually two miles from the water. Yeah. Yeah. In Sarasota, yeah, yeah. We're two miles from the water, um, three miles from the actual Gulf of Mexico. And the eye of the storm was uh, for hurricane Ian was 35 miles wide. And, we live just an hour from like the actual center center. Of, where it hit. Yeah, where it hit. And, um, you know, Sarasota is, um, it's just, I don't know, it's a really special place. I believe there's only been one hurricane to hit our area and it was back like in the 20s. Um, and, you know, the thing is like there have, there have always been hurricanes and as Floridians, um, we, I mean, we definitely take them seriously, but you know, we get tropical storms that pass through. We've had 40 or 50 mile an hour winds, um, before, and I believe there were 90 mile an hour gusts. We actually were out of state at the time, but you know, um, there have been natural disasters, like as you look throughout history. And I think, um, things can really become sensationalized in the media. We all know that. And, you know, uh, it's it's the stories that invoke fear that sell news. And so I always really want to look from uh, through a filter of truth versus like what the media wants to feed us. And so, <laughs> you know, global warming. Now they don't call it global warming. They call it climate change because many people are like, well, that's weird if the 
if the earth is actually getting warmer, it's been colder where I live than normal. You know, like right now we're up in Michigan. I'm originally from here right on Lake Michigan. And I can tell you we've had colder summers for seven plus years and it is cyclical. And so I feel like people for their own reasons and agendas, a lot of times will try to force their narrative upon the public because we've been taught to trust it as a source. You know, we've been taught to trust authority. And so I just always want to take a, a bird's eye view, like a God's eye view of things and see, you know, what's really going on. And, you know, when it comes to real estate, as far as I know, God made only one earth, you know, that has humans on it. And along with time, real estate is really <laughs> the uh, one of the only completely non-renewable resources. I know that sometimes, uh, you know, people will create islands out of nothing in the ocean, but that's rare and it takes just, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars. And so with modern technology, we're so blessed to basically turn any environment into a tropical environment because as humans, we really only thrive within a certain temperature to a certain temperature. And so, you know, you may live in a, a super cold climate or you may live in a subtropical climate like we do. We actually live in the same environment in our home. You know, we have similar humidity, we have similar um, temperatures, that kind of thing. And so whether people say that the earth is getting warmer or it's getting colder and the ice caps are melting or they're freezing, you know, there's a lot we can do with modern technology. And so I, I would steer people away from allowing fear to guide them when it comes to real estate investing and really look at the patterns of real estate through the years, right? Like, so we've definitely had corrections and dips and dives, but overall, of course, real estate continues to climb. And it's because people need somewhere to live, right? And more and more people are really realizing they're catching that real estate bug and just wanting to invest in real estate. So, um, you know, that overall, that's just kind of my overarching take is to really be smart about and, and everything that we do is spirit led. Um, we're lovers of Jesus and, and we teach from a kingdom perspective and we just really help people, whether they um, have the same beliefs as us or not, to really look through a lens of truth and see what what actually is going on around them versus what the narrative is that's being kind of preached to them. Yeah. Um, I, I just want to jump in here and, and David and Tim, I'd, I'd like your perspective too, but I just want to like share a story. Um, I had a friend looking to invest and I introduced him to a, a multifamily deal in Florida and sent his 40 grand money, wired it, and then Hurricane Michael hit and wiped out uh, Panama City and the property that they were buying. I was like, oh my God, what have I got my buddy into? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it turned out okay. The operators, which with multifamily, your operator, whoever's putting the deals together and, and you know taking care of the property through the lifetime of that, that deal is super important. Luckily, they had crews come in from out of state quickly, fixed the missing walls and roof, and like it really messed up that property. And um, they got it up and going. Uh, 
because they were one of the first to get it back online, they they were able to increase rents and not gouging people, but it just it was just the reality of what they were were doing. Um, and so it turned out okay. You know, the, their cash flow was was delayed, but he ended up making double his money within two years. Part of that was the market going up, obviously. So exits on on those big deals is is important. But uh, you know, stuff happens, and we as long as we're you know knowledgeable and have have teams in place, we can get in there and and deal with this kind of stuff. Can I say something real quick, James, on that? Jump in. I love what you're saying, man. It actually it actually made me think of several real quick stories. So I lived in Kentucky for 27 years before we met, and we had a, a history-breaking record ice storm uh, one year. It was like the uh, broke all kind of records ever in the longest recorded history they've ever had. Broke and all kinds of trees, too. Broke trees. <laughs> I was actually broke living in Kentucky how, at the time. Too. Yeah. I mean, it was the – I don't know how many – probably millions of people out of power for extended periods of time – so whether it's hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, ice storms, you know, whatever. I mean, we live this planet. It's it's moves and shakes and, and quakes and the different things. And so I think, again, I loved what Katie Marie said. And I love what you were sharing, too, about some key takeaway points that anybody listening to this can really find value in in a practical sense of, um, number one, not letting fear be your guide, because I've never seen that work out well for anyone. Of course, some fear can be healthy running from a bear so it doesn't eat you, that kind of thing like that, you know, within the context, but most people live lives of fear. Therefore, when you look at their lives, most people live very limited lives versus the limitless life that we believe we're all supposed meant to live a limitless life. Um, but why is that fear is at the root? So whether it's talking about weather, the, the doom or, or whatever it is, if it's, if it's, if fear is the leading narrative and people get sucked into that, then it, it's, it gets very gripping. It's constrictive. Mm -hmm. It's not liberating. Right. Yeah. Faith is liberate. Fear is so constrictive. And so no matter where we're at, right? So, and, and people can miss on opportunities or they can say no to otherwise, like you said, your friend, I mean, ended up doubling, even though mm -hmm. in the meantime, yeah, there's process, there's things that happen there. I mean, you know, but I loved what you said too. So the takeaways for me were not letting fear guide you in life or in business, real estate and relationships, like getting a healthy uh, view of seeking truth yourself, right? And, and then also, like you said, was so powerful of having the right people around you, mm -hmm. because then we, we teach one of the things we teach is leverage everything, leverage other people's time, talents, abilities, resources, networks, relationships. When you leverage, live a life that way of leveraging, I think Henry Ford was the one that talked about the mastermind principle, right? Mm -hmm. And people were like, wow, wealthiest man on the planet. <laughs> but he didn't, you know, he, he focused on what he was good at and what he enjoyed. And then he just surrounded himself with other people who had the expertise, right? At, in whatever time he needed to know, whatever he could find out, he didn't have to go research and learn all of this stuff. Right. So whether it's, you want to know about climate change or anything like it's great. Cause you can have one, one minute or five minute conversation with someone who's already spent years or decades studying that thing to get kind of the extract. And so I love that you said surrounding yourself with the mm -hmm. right people. Yeah. So then when you go to navigate uncharted waters, whether it's a natural disaster that you're like, whoa, what do you do here? Or raising children or buying real estate or private money. Like there's someone who's already done it and done it very well for an extended period of time that they have that expertise and knowledge that you can literally pull that lever and download right through a conversation, that knowledge into you to navigate something that otherwise could have right. been catastrophic for you, but ended up being a catalyst for yeah. you into new realms of abundance because you leverage that connection and conversation. So I love that you said that, man. It's so true and powerful. Yeah. 
Tim, did you have uh, something to add to that? Um, yeah, sure. So, I mean, I was actually in the Cape Coral, Fort Myers area last week. So, I mean, it was obviously hit pretty hard. Um, I don't want to say the majority of houses have tarps on them, but at least half of them seem to. Um, so, I mean, without a doubt, the hurricane had disastrous consequences. Um, what I can tell you is I know a lot of investors buying in the Cape Coral area, and it's not scaring anybody. So, I mean, people are buying in Florida in mass right now. If anything, people are targeting Florida. A large amount of the investors that we speak with every week are buying in that exact area. And I can tell you that none of them are running away. So, um, you know, as was previously mentioned, you can lean to what other people are doing um, in order to make your own decisions. And if I know people that are building a hundred houses in Cape Coral and they're just going through the hurricane too, and they're not afraid of it. Um, for me, since I know three to four people doing essentially the same thing, um, that would make me feel pretty comfortable with it because I know that that area is a hot spot right now. So, I mean, obviously it got hit and that's unfortunate, but people are still buying, people are still building and there's still money to be made in the area. Yeah. Well, you know, one other thing that was in the article or a couple of things was construction methods, you know, improved construction methods that can handle some of these storms uh, and then insurance. So, uh, David, did you have any comments on, on those or anything else? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, I'm, I am an engineer by background, so um, I read articles and I end up analyzing them. Uh, and everything. But, um, you know, so I try to take away from it, you know, the, the article starts out, you know, about a study done in Tampa, uh, you know, with a $200 billion in damage. But that was a little bit kind of ironic, because I happened to be in Tampa during Hurricane uh, Ian. And so I landed, uh, you know, on Monday of that week, uh, to uh, find out that I was stuck in Florida and uh, couldn't get out of Florida. And so I ended up, you know, quote, riding the storm out because one, my rental car wouldn't let me take it to another city. They told me they would have me arrested if I uh, took the car uh, out of state. Uh, the hotel basically said, oh, there's nothing. This is no big deal at all. I'm not going to refund any of your money. Uh, so I ended, I ended up staying there. And, you know, I tell you what, there's, you know, uh, like Katie's saying, you know, don't believe the hype. Now, I'm not saying that storms aren't real and they don't cause tremendous damage. But, you know, the news is there to make news articles like that on the television screen uh, with it. And so um, we actually did lose power in Tampa, uh, which was strange because it kind of totally missed us. So there was some aspect to you know, I didn't have power in my hotel room for 21 hours, even though it went completely south. But, you know, how do you predict these things? I mean, you know, you could have taken off to the villages or Orlando and you would have been running into the storm. So it's kind of hard. And so I think if you look at that article, uh, it is, you know, analyzing uh, factors that are involved on, you know, on disasters. Now it's hyping it up from, you know, the entire United States isn't going to all have hurricanes everywhere, right? You know, that's that fear factor. and Don't let that fear rule your life. And, uh, and, and I could quote a lot of Bible verses on that. But, you know, what you want to take away, I think, from that article is two factors that I saw in my analysis was it comes down to two things. How do you adjust for it? Uh, one is 
insurance rates, and two is construction materials. So over the past 50 years, you know, if you go look at my dad's house that was built in the in the 40s and houses built today, construction standards have changed all the time over the years. So, you know, maybe our solution to minimize you know, some of the damages and loss of life, life is, let's just learn from these every time and build and change our, our building standards. And, and I'm not saying to do this for the sake of raising permit fees, but, you know, let's, let's, let's figure out and, and use technology to develop materials and methods to build homes that stand up better to these types of things. Uh, and the other one is, you know, insurance. Our insurance will always be there, you know, to cover you. And so it just means your rates will go up really high. Well, you know, uh, interest rates just went from 3% to 7%. You know, things change all the time. It's just an investment and the cost of that investment. So, you know, it's just normal normal economics with it. But, um, you know, I mean, it was, you know, an interesting article. Um, you know, I am really glad to hear the, the report, you know, that investors are flocking to Florida because, you know, real estate investors are part of the solution, not part of the problem. Okay. You know, we can move quickly. We can move instantly. We can move in there and we can re, we can recover those houses. We can bring them back up to the standards that we need people to live on. If we depend on the government to do that, you know, those houses will sit there with blue tarps till kingdom come blue, you know, but real estate investors are smart and then we can help be that solution in whatever area of the country that might happen in. So it's not about fear, it's about opportunity and a heart to help people. Yeah. Does anybody else have anything to add to that before we jump to the next news item? Well, I'd also love to just say quickly, you know, you just take our country. Um, you've got like up here in Michigan, you have tremendous winter storms, especially with the lake effect snow that can absolutely, I mean, it can dump feet and feet of snow and structurally that will destroy things. You know, you've got people drowning from being on the ice, different things. And then you've got like all through kind of the South um, Mid-South, you've got the tornadoes that hit out of nowhere. Of course, you have the earthquakes over on the West Coast. I mean, you have hurricanes down kind of where we are that go through all of the different islands and, you know, sometimes hit Alabama, sometimes hit Louisiana or Texas or Florida. So the thing is, like, the, this earth is like moaning and groaning. As David mentioned, it's constantly moving. It's it's alive. You know, there's there's a lot going on there. So we just have to remember that that this earth is uh, temporary for us. And there is nowhere that you can live that you're going to be completely free and safe from any natural disaster, from any kind of climate change or whatever you want to call it. And so it really is about doing the very best thing that you know to do. And as you know, many of these gentlemen have mentioned, having the right team around you, analyzing properly, and then really just being led according to, um, to your spirit and, and how you feel you're supposed to go. And it's so cool because you know, you had mentioned in, in your story, James, about how that um, that catastrophe happened, but then they were able to double their investment. If they would have been able to get out before closing and before if they knew, hey, a hurricane's going to hit, it's going to demo everything. 
he probably would have gotten out of it and he would have missed out on that double portion blessing. And so we just have to remember that there, there are blessings in disguise with things and we can't possibly control everything. And so we're just do the best we can. There's nowhere we can live, you know, even in a padded cell somewhere, <laughs> there's, there's weather outside of that. Totally. Yes. All right. Let's go to the next news item. So real estate investing app Fintor raised $6.2 million at an $80 million valuation. This is on TechCrunch. Uh, so just high level, what Fintor is, is a platform for non-accredited investors to invest in real estate. So it's basically fractional, um, put small amounts of money in and, and get into one or multiple properties spread across different markets. Um, how do you guys see this? And they're not the only ones. Um, there are other platforms as well. How do you guys see this as changing the landscape of investing? Good or bad? Anyone jump, jump All in? right, I'll jump in here. Um, obviously, as we go on and on, technology is going to continue to change and disrupt the industry. So, I mean, I, I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing. I think this is a good thing because you're making it open for, you know, the entry level investor to start investing. So, I mean, you're also seeing similar tech startups like this in cryptocurrency where they're kind of tokenizing real estate. This sounds very similar to that. Um, I don't think this concept is going anywhere. So um, this is probably going to continue to grow and grow as, as you know, it finds market share. But I mean, I can tell you that um, this is not the only company and obviously they had a pretty good start, right? So... <laughs> Um, and this is um, likely a wave of the future, especially once the crypto stuff gets more developed, because that's already been done. It just hasn't been done well yet. Yeah. What do you guys think? Uh, go ahead, David. Yeah, this is, you know, technology uh, to me is amazing. I, I, I take this. Some people hate technology. Some people love technology. I mean, that's probably, you know, similar to a lot of topics in life. But I think it's all about perspective and utilization and you, right? So what is your perspective? What, what personally, and, and what are you, how do you use it or, or not use it? Right. And so, you know, I mean, computers, communication devices, these phones, <laughs> I mean, have been used in the hands of certain people to do amazing things, save lives, generate more abundance and wealth than ever before set people free. And also that same tool has been used to, destroy them so again it, to me with technology it's more about the human whose hands that it's in and we talk about this a lot with our students all the time like you know you can take a, any tool to build a house a physical tool a power tool whether it's a hammer whether it's a saw whether it's a you know a power tool and it can be used to build communities build housing shelter do all these amazing things for humanity and it also that same tool can be used to to kill someone right and so it's 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 and destroy life and to, to create harm and destruction and tear down houses or people. So, it, so I think when I think about technology and I'm not saying this specifically in relation to this app, like it could be, you know, deadly. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying my perspective when I think of technology in general is I think technology is a great thing. It's, it's more tools for us to leverage and harness, whether that be in communication and connection. I mean, think about the connection, these crowdfunding platforms where anyone can get in and, and start participating in real estate investing that otherwise wouldn't, right? Um, 
on a passive level. So I think two things I would have the listeners think about and, and learn about and lean into if you're if you're new to real estate or even if you're seasoned is, you know, within real estate, that's a big overarching, you know, real estate investing or real estate in general. There are so many niches, right, that, that all of us here have different niches that we've participated in, focused on, got good at uh, what, what we do and help people do. So one broad stroke is like passive investing and active investing, right? So something like this, where someone can jump in for as little as $100, $1,000, things like that, and participate knowing that, wow, I'm, I'm a real estate investor. I'm investing in real estate. This money is going into a real estate building, an income producing rental property or project development, whatever it is. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's cool. And it's a passive investment. But just know, I would advise anyone looking into doing that a couple different things. If it were me, because we don't do much uh, passive investing ourselves, we're more active investors, meaning, you know, where we put our money into real estate projects, we are the majority or one of the majority owners. So we have decision making um, uh, power and control over how the asset is managed, handled, renovated, yeah. because that's where, in my opinion, from my experience, you're going to make the most amount of rate of return on whatever money you ever invest in real estate or leverage other people's money to invest in real estate on your behalf is how are you positioned financially in the asset, right? Because if you're throwing a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars or a few thousand dollars into a passive um, investment spot, just realize the difference. Like you're not going to get to say who, what tenants are living in that property, who's managing the property, how much money is spent on the property, if it's even profitable or not, you're not going to really have a say, you know, in that other than maybe a vote or something they might do depending on who. So my other recommendation would be also if you're considering putting money passively into a real estate project is if I were you, I would want to know who the general partners, the main people controlling the decision making on the asset. GP. That's usually what you'll hear is GP. GP, yeah, for general partner, um, the majority owners, right? Because they're the ones calling the shots on on where the money's being spent, allocated, you know, who property management is, renovations, expenses. So, so that affects you, right? That affects whether you make money, lose money, or have a low rate of return or higher rate of return. Um, so I would at least get those insights if you're considering putting your money into a passive role. It's just, again, we were talking about this earlier, partner with the best that you can find, right? The people who are making the best rate of returns, and they have a track record of making their investors happy and making their investors more than the average rate of return in these passive type investments. That's who I would want uh, our passive money being put towards in the hands of people who have a proven track record. They have the knowledge, the know-how, the experience, the track record of doing well by their investors that are putting up money, even if that's a small amount of money. Number one, the other thing I would think is I see it as a great thing because people can tick, stick their toes in the water of real estate and be like, man, I'm a real estate investor, you know, and you are. Um, and I, I think that could breed um, some momentum for more people wanting to know more and get closer and more involved in the real estate you know, world and investing game because it's, it's a, an exciting, powerful opportunity for anyone. And, and that's why it excites us so much is that anyone can start from where they're at and really go take the vehicle real estate, uh, allow it to take them to wherever they want to go and beyond. Yeah. Everybody's got to kind of figure out if they're looking to invest, like where they fit in and that changes, right? Like, like with multifamily, a lot of, there's a lot of training around that and a lot of people will get into it and start learning and find that they don't want to be active 
and putting deals together. They don't have the time. It's just like it, there's so much to it. And so they end up becoming passive investors, but they've gotten to know those general partners that are putting on those trainings and, and they're comfortable with them. So they've kind of found where, where they're comfortable yeah. um, for themselves. The, yeah, James. And one other thing I'd love to add to what you're saying is too, is that, that most times for most people, I think ends up being the biggest value of it all. Mm -hmm. Not the rate of return yeah. dollar for dollar that you're getting from putting a thousand or 10,000 or $50,000 in a passive investment, but the behind the curtain yes. look, I, I mean, that, that otherwise who knows how many years or money or tens of thousands of dollars you'd have to pay to get education on when you can place yourself in a passively uh, invested role, right? Get a rate of return on your money. Your money's making money for you while you sleep. That's great. Backed by real estate, as long as it's bought right in the right location, I'll manage right all that. Um, but more than anything, more than whatever rate of return you get is the knowledge. Like you were just talking about getting uh, relationship capital, right? Yeah. With other people who know more than you, because you're getting the power of proximity, right? That's one of the things we talk a lot about. So by you being one of the investors in that, even though you might be a minority, you might be minority financially speaking in the, in the deal, you're getting closer proximity. You're taking steps in that direction to get close to people who are making millions, hundreds of millions of dollars in real estate. And you literally get to peek in right for free. I mean, you're just investing but you're getting that proximity to see behind the curtain on how they're making, why are they making certain decisions on who's yeah. managing the property? What's happening on tenant screening on, yeah. you know, when tenants move, I mean, all the things that then you can take that knowledge and be like, wow, maybe I do want to either go uh, actively pick up some properties myself or let partner with someone and still be passive, but have more of a controlling share and interest in the property where, you know, someone who's loves the contract, the construction side of it, the contractor or whatever. But because you've gained these powerful insights for people who are, operating at a much higher level and playing the game at, you know, a bigger level, it's basic and simple steps, right? And then you can leverage and partner with people you already know in your community, the contractors, the property manager, and do some big, exciting, powerful things still with not having it be a full-time thing for you having to go all in like that. So that's, that's really huge. Yeah. David Randolph. Yeah, I guess, you know, I, if I could respectfully disagree a little bit with David and Katie on what they just said, um, I think that this app may not necessarily do anything what you just said. What you said is great and it's, and it's, and it's right, but I don't see anything that says these apps allow any of that to take place. This particular app allows an investment of just $5. And so this allows the masses to basically invest in real estate, but I don't see anything from what I know of this app that it lets you know anything about even the address of the house the management, the selection of tenants or anything in how it's done. And I'm not saying that the app does or doesn't have that, but it's just the article doesn't state anything other than it allows an a minimum investment of $5 with it. So it could be treated almost purely like a mutual fund. You know, um, that's a lot different than stock investing. I bought mutual funds for many years and there would be 50, 100, 200 companies in that mutual fund. And I put my money in and, I learned about the mutual fund and its rate of return over the years, but I had no clue as to this, how to do uh, moving averages, profit and loss, you know, PE ratios. That was done by the fund managers on the individual stocks. So I think that users need to really look at the particular app and what does it do? Because I think it's great if it does, uh, you know, what David is saying, but not all apps maybe necessarily 
bring you in at that level, at the $5 level, I don't know if that's if they're going to be providing that. To me, this app almost seems more like a, a lending source, okay? In other words, it's just a way for the professionals uh, like us, we're professionals, uh, entrepreneurs, to gain a secondary access of funding uh, in a way. So that to me, this almost looks like a, a lending type thing where they can, you know, like the crowdsourcing uh, funding with it. So uh, it'd be interesting to see if that app provides any of the things that, that you know, you, you say would be good for investors. And that would be the apps you'd want to use. You know, there are some people, you know, that even have said, you know, that these kind of apps, you know, cheapen the industry, right? Okay, I've heard that from some people, you know, that, you know, having apps, I mean, it started with Robinhood and stock investing and then shorting, you know, some of those stocks and it got in the news and stuff. So people are saying, well, you know, is that going to happen with the real estate industry uh, with it and stuff? And, and, and I don't, I don't think there's anything we can do about it. I don't think it's going to cheapen it. I think it's going to make the industry change because I agree with David and Katie that we want people to come into the real estate world because, you know, it's been so successful for us. And if it helps them to, to, to become invested in it and to start to learn from it, then, you know, they can choose to get higher returns by being the property manager themselves or to be the rehabber. You know, I choose to be the rehabber. I want to provide housing for people directly uh, with it and stuff. And so, you know, I don't think it cheapens the industry. Um, you know, there's other people that, you know, have said that this could cause a bubble. Well, you know, that's that's certainly a possibility. I mean, look what happened with interest rates during the pandemic, you know, going from, you know, three, you know, from four percent to three and a half and three percent, you know, home prices went up. Uh, and so you had cheap money. And so when you have cheap money, uh, you know, there's no risk factor for those people with that cheap money. And so you have a tendency to overpay. And so if we have these apps where you can just jump in at five dollars and you're bringing in, you know, a hundred million or five billion dollars more cash chasing only so many homes. We only have like three or four months of inventory of houses out there. We used to have two months and you got a lot more money chasing real estate. Uh, you know, through the common person, I think that is a is a danger to be uh, aware of with it and stuff. But I mean, I think I think it'll play out over the long run. But, you know, it's just another source of money for professionals like us to do our job. Uh, that's kind of my overview of, of the article and the app, basically. And just to clarify, I agree with everything you said there, mm -hmm. David. I guess I didn't actually read the article and I don't even know the details about this app specifically. I guess what I was saying is out more of a broad stroke in general about like crowdfunding platforms, passive investors, platforms, things like that. If you can, like David's saying, if you can uh, leverage that to get close proximity behind mm -hmm. the scenes, look on properties specifically. That was more of where I was thinking, not specifically this app, because I don't even know what all it does or doesn't do this app specifically. But so, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. There are great points as well. Yeah. And I think um, just to clarify, we kind of went off on a tangent about multifamily, which is bigger chunks of money, you know, maybe twenty dollars $50,000 buy-ins where it's complex and people that are putting that kind of money in definitely are going to want to know what's going on behind the scenes where, you know, an app where you can put five, 10, hundred bucks in, eh, like you're not going to want to be doing or need to do your due diligence as much, or maybe you should. Um, Cause then you might be wanting to put in more. Cause I don't know what the limits on these, these apps are, but um, yeah. So that that's 
kind of different levels. I just want to clarify that. So, um, hey, just real quick, are you guys guests seeing the the private chat? Yep, you can see that. So, um, and I also wanted to call out Antonio Holman in the background, putting some some questions in the background. He is our producer, the founder of this. He just asked me to be the guest for some reason, and uh, but he's he's orchestrating everything, um, and he, he's a badass. Thank you. He's an, he's an amazing man. He's an amazing man. Yep. He's awesome. So yeah, if you guys see, see any questions as he, that he's posed in the chat, um, go ahead and jump in and answer those. Um, let's jump to the next one and it's, it's related. Uh, so Bezos backed startup lets you become a landlord with a hundred dollars. This is on Benzinga as well. Um, Funded by not only Jeff Bezos, but uh, forget there was, yeah, the founder of Uber and the founder of Salesforce. So there's some big money going into the app. Um, I'm trying to remember what was much different about that. But if you guys remember anything and want to comment on on those kind of people getting in on this, any any feedback? Well, you know, I think that, um, you know, there's blue ocean space in everything because we basically just need to create a, a better mousetrap, right? So, like, take a can opener, like, everybody has a can opener. There's a million different kinds. There's the kind that, like, won't cut your finger if you run it on the edge. There's, like, the normal kind. There's a travel size, like, all of that. Um, it's, like... Uh, Jeff Bezos and these different um, like tycoons in their industry and they've got a ton of money and a ton of power. I just get nervous for the average consumer who isn't educated when they're like, oh, this can be the next Uber. I need to jump in on this and I'm going to, you know, cash in my 401k and I'm going to throw all of it in there, you know, my self-directed IRA and all of that because this is going to be Bitcoin. And if I would have invested $100 in Bitcoin, I'd be a multi-billionaire, you know, all the things. So it's it's kind of like when when real estate isn't these moguls passion and they're just seeing blue ocean space where they could just make a ton of money. Now, I don't know their hearts for sure. And I don't know their intentions, but I just really encourage people to exercise caution when, you know, something sometimes sounds too good to be true, become a landlord for a hundred dollars. Number one, I think being a landlord is a calling. I think it's something that some people are meant to do. And some people are definitely not meant to do. They're meant to have property management in place. Some people love having a small portfolio of properties and they want to manage it themselves. And they want to know the names of everybody's kids and send the Christmas cards, which like we do all of those things, you know, send them gifts, that kind of thing. Even though we're scaling, we still want to have that um, close intimate touch. And we, we probably won't always manage um, our portfolio, but like, just anyone who knows nothing about investing in real estate, like, yeah, I want to become a landlord for a hundred dollars. Like, do they even know what a landlord is? Do they even know what goes into being a landlord and the nuances? I mean, we have 
tenants constantly with health issues. We have um, tenants where a spouse has passed away, where a child is sick. Um, it's it's wild that the average American, I don't know the exact number, but you know, they're only one paycheck away from being homeless. And we have tenants all the time, you know, they can't pay their $850 rent because they didn't get one, you know, bi-monthly paycheck. And it's, it's just wild. So there's a lot of dynamics into being a landlord. So when you have the who's who of these other tycoon companies jumping in to like a brand new real estate space, they may be investors themselves, but I would definitely just do your due diligence as a consumer. And same thing with the other app, you know, don't don't just throw money into it thinking that it's going to become the next this or that. You know, you you are a steward of the money that you've been given and <laughs> you need to take care of your house, make sure your house is in order proverbially, make sure that you that you know basically what you're getting into to the best capacity that you can. Yeah, go ahead, Tim. So absolutely. I mean, my primary concern, if I was somebody looking to invest in an app like this, is what is the due diligence that they are doing and, and, and how do they analyze whether or not a property is a good buy? Because I don't know about the rest of your guys' markets, but I mean, most of the people I know and my market is certainly in the decline right now. And I still have one to two months inventory. So, I mean, if we have prices going down with inventory as low as it is, we need to make sure that whoever is making the decision on which properties that they're acquiring is taking that data into effect. Um, so, I mean, I'm bearish on the market right now. Um, so I would hope that they're doing something where they're super transparent on what their due diligence is and, and when they choose what properties are worth acquiring. So, I mean, if that data is not transparent, for me, it's like a hard pass because they could be buying anything in market value. And currently in a lot of markets, market value is in decline. So um, that would be my primary concern. Like, what are they doing for due diligence? Are they fully transparent? Do we know what we're purchasing a fractionalized share of? With that knowledge, it might be a worthy investment. But I mean, unfortunately, we don't have all of that. I could say that, you know, the people, the spearheaders of this, you know, we have Salesforce, Amazon. So, I mean, we do have some intelligent people at the helm here. But I mean, I would need more information on their due diligence process before I could give a, a recommendation one way or the other. And, and can I slip one more thing in there? Totally on Tim, what you're saying. So um, the, <laughs> the wild thing is, you know, do you even, how are you actually going to verify that it is XYZ home, that they're the one that purchased it, all of these things? And I mean, are you going to file a lawsuit against Jeff Bezos? Like, <laughs> no. So just remember, I think it's wise to, again, we're like constantly hitting on do your due diligence because it is of the utmost importance. But also, I would say, uh, you know, especially when these apps are just kind of up and coming, don't invest any money that you're not willing to say bye-bye to, like ASAP. You know, like, oh, I'm gonna throw a thousand dollars in there. If it does something, that's fantastic, but I'm happy never seeing that money again. And I mean, I would say even um, billionaires, like they, they enjoy their $1,000. And so, you know, just be wise with what you're doing and understand that you're not going to be able to get into, you're not going to get to be behind the curtain with the wizard. You're basically just trusting people who have 
massive legal teams and you know you you would never be able to make a dent to try to get any investment back yeah i i agree with katie too on this um you know you've got to watch out where the big money goes um you know one of the things you have to ask right off the bat in this entire you know jeff bezos arrived homes and even the apps is where is the security of your principal okay will you get your five dollars back or will you lose your five dollars and what happens if you lose your five dollars is jeff bezos going to guarantee it so that's what you really have to be careful of in these app type situations or these these uh this landlording become a landlord kind of thing let's think about this from an economic or even investing perspective um you know we're entrepreneurs we're uh we're not passive or at least i'm not passive you know i rehab houses and i sell them i find the houses i negotiate i do all these things i bring value to the to the whole situation if you're just going to plunk down a hundred dollars um, and someone else is going to do the work. You've just added another layer of cost onto it. Uh, it's just like a wholesaler. Uh, God bless them. They're very important. But what do they do? They make $5,000, $10,000, right? So if you as a, a, a rehabber went straight to the homeowner and bought the house, then you could get it cheaper, okay? But we don't do that. We add a layer of cost onto it by a wholesaler mm -hmm. doing the work. So now uh, this... Um, this uh, arrived homes, this article is basically adding another layer of cost in it. So how does Jeff Bezos and these people think there's still going to be enough money made in the situation with it? Um, and so they're going to have to be very good on buying houses. Uh, and let's think about it. You know, Jeff Bezos is not going to be your property manager. He's not going to be buying your houses. He's just the money guy. Now, he might be smart. I don't want to say he is or he isn't uh, and stuff. And so he may hire the right people. Well, let's think about it. Who is he going to hire? OK, you know, he might be in great shape, uh, you know, if he hires David and Katie because they sound really smart. Maybe if they hire me, I might be able to help him out. But am I going to go work for Jeff Bezos? Absolutely not. So he's going to have to hire people that might be mediocre at what they do, because if you're really good at it, we're killing it ourselves. OK, so why would we work for somebody else? So his team, by definition, is not going to be top rate, um, at least in my opinion, from what I understand. Wow, that is so powerful. Yes. That right. Wow, incredible insight. Yeah. And we've got another article that we're going to talk about with iBuyers, big <laughs> companies that <laughs> are in trouble. Um, so let's take a break and hear from our first sponsor. I'll actually be reading off the script. So it's not, not anything prepped. So, um, are you ready to ignite your financial freedom with what has been called the hottest REI strategy around, or should I say strategies? Enter Jason Palliser two-day investment blueprint, where you'll learn the secrets that the real estate investing community doesn't know because they never had a reason to before. With Jason's two-day investment blueprint, you will learn how to tackle real estate deals with over 40 different strategies which means your chances of losing another deal nearly disappears completely. In Jason's two-day life transformation intensive, you will learn how to get more deals, close deals faster, win more deals over other investors, multiply your real estate deal strategies, and much more. 
Jason Palliser's two-day investment blueprint can help you grow your REI business to six and seven figures faster with much less aggravation. If you want to learn how to actually invest well in any market in the United States, even tough markets, and close multiple deals per month, visit twodayblueprint.com. That's twodayblueprint.com. The number two, not spelled out T-W-O, the number twodayblueprint.com. And make sure you tell him you heard it here on This Month in Real Estate Investing. Don't believe the no more good deals hype and visit twodayblueprint.com. All right, there we go. So let's see. Let's go to the next news item. Um, let me get back to my other doc. All right. So this one was titled, How Much You Would Have Made or Lost Investing in Real Estate at the Height of the Market in 2007. Um, I just, I, I kind of wanted to throw out what happened with me, just a little personal. So I bought my personal residence in 2006 thinking I was going to be okay. And then guess what happened in 08? Uh, we all know what happened in 08. Um, a lot of people panicked, sold, and lost a lot of money. I was able to hold that as my primary residence and sold in 2019. I doubled my money. But for a while, I had no equity. If I sold, I would have lost a lot of money. You can go both ways. Um, so that's what this article is about. Uh, anybody want to jump in and give their thoughts on that? We've the first property I bought was in 08. Um, but my thought is that it really depends on your strategy and your utilization of the properties. Cause even the successful investors that have been, that I know personally that have been doing it for 40 years, you know, I, for us, we buy based on cash flow. Number one, mostly as our main metric, because we're not as concerned, you know, when people talk about property values going up, going down, you know, all of that. And no one has a crystal ball of what property values are going to be a year from now, five, 10 years from now. So for us, when you buy right in terms of in the context of cash flow, profitability on the income side of things for what it can rent for and how you're using the property, then we sleep great. You know, people are like, you know, what if, oh, you know. Another crash or you lose 50% equity of your property values. It's like, we don't, it, it, literally, we don't care. Really, honestly, some people might disagree or think differently, but for us, and, and in conjunction with that, when that happens, you know, most times from what I've seen is that, you know, you actually make more money on the income side, right? Because if less people are buying houses or properties, um, then what are they doing? They're renting, right? So it's just basic mm -hmm. supply and demand you know, for the property owners and landlords that own income producing rental properties, you actually have, you know, increase of income and financial flow. Um, but yeah, so people buying at the peak, then, you know, this last peak, the peaks, all the pre previous peaks that have existed, you know, to me, it, 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 I think it's a few things, liquidity. So the people mm -hmm. that we have seen, and you yeah. guys, I'm sure have seen, or maybe yourselves have experienced losses or having to liquidate properties or whatever. Um, I think it was an issue for most people of liquidity and cash flow. 
I think those are two of the main pieces of the equations because they didn't have enough cash reserves or access to cash to float through a transitional period of either structuring on their financing side or being able to, you know, cover their debt servicing on the rental income side of things. So for us, it's always been about buying based on worst case scenario. And of the dozens of properties that we've acquired personally, 100% of them have been very profitable. We've never lost any money on any deal. We don't ever plan to. And that's not about us. It's about the process we follow on a conservative basis of what's worst case scenario on, on renovation, on current market value, you know, after renovation value on what we can rent it for now and later. Because in our minds, when we make a purchasing decision, we position ourselves financially in a property. Mm-hmm. We're thinking even if it hit the fan like it's never hit the fan before and it's yeah. the worst crash ever and half the half the properties are vacant. Our properties are going to be the half that are rented. Why? Because we bought on enough margin yes. where we can drop our our rental price points to whatever point we'd have to drop it to keep it filled and it still pay for itself, at least pay for itself and break even, if not still generate a profit. So for me, I think it's more about that long term. Now I can see where on the flipping side, of mm-hmm. course, people got caught. You know, what do they yeah. say when the tide in the ocean? We're ocean people. So they say, you know, when the tide goes out, that's when you find out who's swimming naked. You know what I mean? <laughs> Until the tide goes out, you don't know if they got trunks on or not. Everybody looks the same, right? Same financially speaking. So let that sink in. Think, marinate, meditate on that a little bit. Think about this. You look around in great times. You know, it's like it's like this last real estate boom and stock boom and, and digital currency. These millionaires, you know, these young kids that threw money at the right time, they look smart, but they did had had to have zero knowledge. People that are in the right place, right time, anybody can throw money in when real estate markets going straight up or stocks are going straight up and make money. The real question is. Who's making money in all seasons, all yes. cycles, at all yes. times? That's who you want to follow and learn from because there's a lot of people, you know, us included. In all the cycles since we've been invested, we've made money even through COVID. We had our biggest financial increases in profits and cash flow during COVID. You could snapshot it by the month, by the quarter, by the year. And why, though? The strategies of setting your sales, do you have, are you beginning with the end in mind? Do you have a long term approach? And in the immediate, are you structured right on your management, your financing, your utilization of the property yeah. to where even if it has dips and changes on, yeah. you know, again, interest rates, people get freaked out about interest rates. Well, then again, adjust your strategy, get yes. long term fixed rate loans on your properties. Right. Is one of the things that we do. So. So I think that's just a few quick thoughts that I have on it. I mean, of course, this could be a whole discussion about all the dynamics involved in, in market cycles and losing money, making money. But that's what I've noticed is when the tide went out last time, you saw who was swimming naked and they went they went bankrupt and had to liquidate. They made all these millions and worked all these years to make it and then lost everything because they were over leveraged. They were overstretched, didn't have liquidity or the financial structuring or debt servicing or financial positioning properly to cash flow mm-hmm. through fluctuation. That's yeah. key. It's simple. Anybody can do it, but people get too nearsighted and, and, and either greedy or just or not looking at. Um, what I believe needs to be looked at on the big picture to to win financially in the immediate and over time. And they, the and they get excited because, you know, oh, my goodness, I found this house. And it's like, you know, everything about it is perfect. And then you're looking at cash flow and running the numbers. And it's like your margins are super squeaky. If like anything goes wrong with the house, no with the market, zone. you know, but but it's like kind of that shiny 
like shiny object syndrome. And so like we always teach our students to be extremely conservative so that, again, you do have that buffer. And, you know, many people have speculated that a correction is coming. It's coming. It's coming. And we've definitely seen a correction in the market. And where we are in Sarasota is actually um, Redfin did um, market research and they found that exactly our neighborhood is the number one hottest market at that time? Yeah, yeah months ago, a couple months ago, and and um, I believe metrics. like eight out of ten of those markets were in our county. Um, but you know, we have seen homes staying on the market just a little bit longer, and um, you know, definitely prices have fallen just a little bit. And I mean, what 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 goes out must come back. Like there's always going to be corrections, but just understanding positioning yourself in the best case scenario so that what you have is extremely profitable and it will be even in a recession. And then also make sure that you're properly positioned so that you're in a buying seat when everything goes on sale. Like who doesn't love a sale, right? <laughs> yeah. Be building those relationships with the private money people. Yeah. Got some in the house today. <laughs> David once said he wants to give his money, right? And if I could just say quickly, just to clarify, you know, we are all about win, 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 win relationships. Anyone and everyone who's involved in, in a deal, in a transaction, it has to be a, a win and a blessing for them. And so, you know, when, when there are corrections, people are upside down, they're super leveraged and they need to get out from underneath the weight of that mortgage, you know, of the double, like second, third and reverse mortgages, all these crazy things. And so you can become a solution specialist. That's something that we really um, teach our students is to become a solution specialist and, and help that person be able to get out from the, the pickle that they've found themselves in. So it's not like, oh, yeah, everything's on sale and I'm just going to wash and like get everything that I can. It's all about having that right perspective and making sure that every single transaction is, is a win-win-win. Tim or, or David Randolph, uh, what do you think? We're diving a little, little bit deeper the 08 crash versus now what what do you guys feel is is the difference or is it exactly the same i know we've all had these conversations so <laughs> um well i mean there's a lot different you know i mean obviously there are much tighter mortgage standards now than there were before so i mean before you could basically do no income no document loans so i mean we don't quite have that problem now um the FHA and so on and so forth, they're far stricter with the lending criteria than they were before. Um, but that's not to say there isn't reason for concern. Um, but what I can say is that, you know, there's there's ways to make money no matter where the market goes. So you just have to shift with the market. So, I mean, you, you utilize a strategy that is effective in the market cycle that you're in. And, you know, right now, you might not be looking at short-term strategies. You know, if you're a wholesaler, if you're a fix and flipper, um, you might still want to do it, but you're going to have to be way more conservative with your numbers due to the changing market. So right now is a much better time to be doing long-term investments. If you're doing creative financing, there's a abundance of opportunity in that realm, especially in the rent-to-own space. I know Mr. James Brown is familiar with that. Um, 
there's an abundance of opportunity no matter where the market goes. So you just need to be flexible and be able to adapt to wherever the market's going and have a little bit of foresight. I mean, obviously nobody has a crystal ball, but try to predict what's going on and be conservative when you should be conservative and be aggressive when you get a, when you should be aggressive. Because as I previously mentioned, if it does crash, it's the biggest opportunity in the world. That, that is when most millionaires are made is during a recession, during a market crash. So don't be afraid. You buy when nobody else is buying. That's that's the best time to buy. So there's nothing to be afraid of no matter where the market goes. That's what I would say. Yeah, I'd like to add to that. I agree with Tim. And I was and I was going to kind of a lot of people like to quote Warren Buffett. Uh, and, and, you know, and so I'll just quote what he quotes, which, you know, is basically you want to do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. So this article is talking about basically long term holds. And I think that's just one small part of the market, in my opinion. Um, yes, it is wealth and it is, you know, what you do to create wealth, but it's just not what you really have to be stuck with. In other words, you know, you know, if you can learn how to rehab houses, you know, if you can learn how to buy, you know, subject to the existing loan, if you can learn how to do short sales like I do, if you've got a, a transaction engineer type mindset um, and the ability to rehab OK, so, you know, that you can pay other people to rehab your houses. I couldn't hit a nail with a hammer to save my life. OK, uh, I pay other people to do that. I run real estate as a business. So I think that article is just focusing on, you know, what was your risk factor if you had screwed up and bought at the high point of 2007 and then waited till 15 years later till we hit the next high point, you know, where would you be at? And basically, you know, you would have made 71 percent on on appreciation in your home. Uh, well, quite honestly, that's not very much, in my opinion. That's 3.7% a year. And if you would have bought the 30-year Treasury bill in that same year, you would have made 4.8%. Okay, so what I prefer to do is let's do the, the, the buy when people are afraid and sell when people are you know, doing this you know, thing the opposite way. So you know, for me, I look at, look, why don't I rehab houses and make a lot of profit when there's no inventory and people need houses really bad and interest rates are low, okay, and sell a lot of houses. You know, I, you know, uh, buy houses and make a lot of money and I got this cash and the market turns down. Hey, why don't I buy my rentals at the low spot? So they're talking about high to high. Okay, high to high, however that is on the screen here. But why not buy low and, and maybe not even sell high, but at least buy it low. So do what fits the market at the time. Don't be a one trick pony, be a transaction engineer and have full understanding. Now you've got to start out small and get good at what you do. But as you get in this industry, especially if you use coaches and mentors and training, Okay, this is one of the best industries in America for training other people. We got, you know, so much more education. It's so much more effective than the colleges are with it and stuff. And so, you know, you know, you can't go to college and, you know, uh, you know, start, you know, learning by working with somebody in real estate. You know, you can get a coach, you can get a mentor, you can work with somebody directly uh, with it. You don't have to spend four years in school. So I kind of take the approach that. You know, you want to do what's working for the market at the time. And so you just kind of roll with the punches uh, and everything. So that's kind of my viewpoint of, of you know, what to do with it. Um, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if we have another article coming up talking about the market crashing, but, 
you know, it doesn't matter if it crashes, okay? Uh, <laughs> you can make money in a crashing market and you can make money in a rising market. So we focus on what's going to happen in the future, uh, but really it's don't let it slow you down. I remember when I was doing some uh, mutual fund investing a long time ago and uh, the market was kind of rising. And so, you know, you might have a 5 or 10% drop in the market, but, you know, if you spent six months worrying about it and thinking about it and prices went up 20%, you know, and it dropped five percent. You wait. You lost fifteen percent gain. You could have had if you just made a decision and got involved in it. You know, and done your analysis at the time. So, you know, I think you really have to, you know, be a transaction engineer. Is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Yeah, this kind of leads into our next news item, actually, with the opportunity we've got. So, uh, the the story is real estate investment companies selling Phoenix Metro homes for 100000 less than what they paid. Uh, source was Arizona's Family News. So they, they dive into um, some specifics. Um, let's see, 2020, uh, Valley Homes sold for an average of 368000 then jumped to 508 and then up to 591 um, And... They also talk about all these iBuyers like Open Door, OfferPad, Zillow. Um, that's a, a hot topic because a lot of them way overpaid and now they're trying to dump them. Uh, and so in this article, they used uh, Open Door as a, an example. They had a, a home, North Phoenix home, bought for 710. It's currently listed at 584 uh, and not sold yet. Um, and they, Open Door actually has 1,500 homes for sale right now. So, boy, there's a lot to talk about here. <laughs> jump, jump in. I mean, I've got a lot of thoughts, but <laughs> let's go. Well, I'm loving watching them fail like this, to be completely <laughs> honest with you. So, I mean, I guess this is just me. Um, but um, Zillow, obviously, they lost like almost a billion dollars on their house flipping estimates earlier this year was what was reported, I believe, in February. And that was obviously no surprise to anybody that's in the real estate market, right? Because those estimates are absolutely worthless unless you're in a super, super cookie cutter area. So, I mean, I'm glad that these people are losing money because they're out there spending money extremely frivolously. So, I mean, they're just throwing money out there. They're not doing their due diligence. Hey, this is what happens when you don't do your due diligence. I mean, um, I have no problem with it whatsoever, personally. I mean, I think um, if anything, the iBuyers are bad for the market because they're possibly inflating the market because they're throwing these cash offers out there, or they were inflating the market rather, not so much anymore. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say they, they get what they got coming to them would be my thoughts. Totally. This kind of goes back to that app too. I'm thinking like somebody puts in their $5. Who's, who's, who are they putting their trust into Zillow? It's a, big, a huge name. They, they, they're trustworthy. They know what they're doing. They're all over the place. Uh, maybe not. <laughs> so, I think, um, yeah, one thing on that, Tim, I love what you said, and it, it probably most all investors yeah. agree, right? Because the people who are out there, literally there physically making, mm -hmm. you know, things happen on the local levels and even regional levels, you know, sometimes the big money funds or companies or individuals, 
I think in these cases, anyway, this is just my thoughts can get overconfident because they, you know, feel like they're the market maker, right? They have enough money to just make the yeah. market do what they want it to do to make their money grow and, and, and all that. And to some degree, you know, it works in certain contexts and certain pockets of, of stocks and real estate with depending on how much money and what they're doing, what their strategy is. But in this case, yeah, when you have, you know, we've all probably gotten those calls, the text messages, the phone calls, Hey, will you sell your house? You know? And so, you know, they're, they're just throwing that out there. Yeah. And it's so, like you said, it's there, there's no fundamentals, you know, or next to no fundamentals and reality, right? It's, so it's an inflated, you know, number that really isn't good for the long run. Again, yeah. it, people who are just like speculative or trying to hop in, hop out, like that's not, you know, just like David, what you've talked about, what we're all here really talking about is learn if you're going to do well in any game in life or just video games, the money game of life, real estate, but like you, you, you've got to learn enough to see, get, learn the fundamentals, right. That are going to work um, successfully and have a proven track record versus just speculating and rolling the dice. Cause that's gambling. It's not investing. So, yeah. so that's the difference is I think people just need to get clarity and define or is what you're doing gambling or is it investing? Is it calculated risk assessed, um, uh, insightful, educated, you know, data driven real life. Um, and really that's not complicated. Just be observant, right? Be observant, just open your eyes, be more, increase your awareness of what's going on around you in the market. And, and the aha light bulbs will hit you. Like, just like this topic here, it's like, you know, people who are in it could see that coming. All of us are like, that's not, that's not yeah. sustainable. Yeah. You know, it's not, it, it's just not, there's no, it's a house of cards, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so that's what true investors aren't, in my opinion, the true investors that are successful in all seasons, they are always going to have that hard pass, as you guys were talking about, on, on like the flash in the pan, speculative, yeah. oh, you know, shiny yeah. object, roll the dice. Yeah. Like that's just not um, appealing. Unless like Katie Marie said, yeah, you can take your flyer shots on, hey, if this works, cool, it could be something. I'll put some discretion, some money that I, you know can do without because I was there. gonna gamble it anyway. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna gamble it's gamble. Yeah. It's it is so that was Bitcoin, these different things. And it's like, yeah. So so that's that's my, you know, some of my core thoughts on it. Yeah. And and the thing is, you know, like are these i buyers killing the trust of real estate investors? If it if it's talking about from a perspective of us being a buyer looking to purchase a home in investment, you know, that these i buyers have uh, like I don't really care what they have it listed for because we know how to do the numbers and how to, you know, run everything and see if it actually makes sense as in dollars and cents, you know, if there's an, enough margin there. Like we have strong criteria that the, the, it just has to filter through. And if it doesn't filter through, like we're not going to buy it. I mean, you can list it for a million dollars and, and it's like, okay, well, we're not going to, we're not going to pay over 200 K and, you know, so let us know when you want to sell it for that. And then when it comes to um, home buyers who these I buyers are purchasing their properties from, I think they're probably just singing a real happy tune that, you know, um, what, whatever I buyer that was that purchased the property for over 700 K. Like, I don't think that home buyer was sad at all. And then, you know, it's the I buyer that's actually taken the hit 
if I'm understanding it correctly, and you know, they're selling it for almost 200k less. And so, I mean, I think a lot of home buyers, they're 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 selling their home for many different reasons. You know, maybe they had a spouse pass away. It's a very difficult situation. Maybe they raised their children in the home and, you know, lived the majority of their marital life in the home. And they're like, just done. I want to get out of it. I want to have a fresh start. Or, you know, maybe there's a difficult divorce or like there's just a million different reasons. Or maybe they found their dream home and they're like, I don't want to live in this house anymore. Like most home buyers even though they are attached and it's like their baby, don't call their baby ugly, you know, don't, don't tell them, don't, don't make too low of an offer on them because the, their baby's beautiful. But a lot of home buyers, like if they get the right price, they don't care who buys it. If it's an eye buyer, you know, if it's, it, it just doesn't even matter. And so I think it's another one of those situations, just like David said, you know, the shiny object where these iBuying companies are like, oh, I've got the next best idea. We're actually going to be the middlemen and we're going to buy these properties from homeowners. And then, you know, we're going to mark them up. And it's kind of like our own version of wholesaling, except like, you know, iBuyer version. So I, I think that they're just looking ridiculous, basically. And, you know, hopefully they can get their their stuff together so that they actually look legitimate. Otherwise, I think someone else is going to come in and do it better. And they're going to they're going to basically clean house. And these other companies are basically making themselves illegit illegitimate and people just aren't going to want to work with them. Yeah. And one quick case in point on that, this should excite all of you listening to this, is that we, one of the things we teach all of our students is create your own economy. So if people, in our opinion and from our experience, if you're concerned about gas prices or interest rates or the economy as a whole, it's 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 really mainly because you just haven't yet learned how to create your own economy yeah. because the wealthy people, a lot of the wealthy people are making money in all seasons like we've talked about and actually making more money yeah. in uh, recessions, depressions, those kind of things. Why? They set their sales and they know and be a solution specialist, adding value. Where's the need and the demand? But here's a case in point. So a few months back, we bought a property. Okay, it was pre-market. And so they were asking 1.125 million. Okay, this was still a hot market. It was months back before it started cooling off. Um, and and they were asking 1.125 million for this property. We bought the property for 640,000. Okay. And so that's exciting step one. Because again, like Katie Marie was saying, a, a, an asking price is just that an asking price. Yeah. It's not the sales price. <laughs> Will it's you the asking. Please buy it. Yes. For this? <laughs> so know that and realize a lot of people, and you all listen to this, you might be stepping over opportunities every day because you're running the numbers based on the asking price and you're yeah. never making an offer. Make offers. You never know. And number one, but here's the other part to that. Why did they accept our offer? We came with an educated offer. We educated, we brought insights from our inspection and everything else. We came and we we brought data-driven mm -hmm. offer and counter offers. Okay. That's a yep. huge strategy right yep. there alone that otherwise they would have never accepted that offer. Mm -hmm. Okay. But and this is one of the things that we do. And this other part is we negotiated a seller finance and we got it at 2.6% interest. When everybody else was whining and moaning and crying about interest rates going from 3% to 7%, we said, who cares? We create our own economy and we bought this property for uh, almost half of what they were asking and at a 2.6% interest rate. And you the all. seller was giddy about Oh yeah, it. the seller, because again, it's all about win-win, but, but that comes through prop skillful communication 
right, of, of, of being a solution specialist and, and, and not just throwing it out there, random offers and hoping something sticks. That's that's again, that's more gambling than insightful, data driven, education based communication with people where you can make amazing things happen for you and them and everyone you're working with. And that's really to us like one of the big points. Awesome. <clears throat> David Randolph. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that. A lot of that. It goes back to this following the Mayo formula. OK, you create your own economy by following a formula. You have a, a certain uh, ARV after repair value of the home. You have a factor, you multiply it by that and then you subtract your repair cost and you don't pay any more than that. And that's probably exactly what uh, David and Katie showed the homeowner and said, look, there's no way that this is going to work. Can you please agree that I'm allowed to make a little bit of money because I'm going to fix it up a lot. I'm going to put 200000 in rehab in this after you leave. So can I make a little bit of profit on this? It's what I do for a living. And, and if they don't say yes, then you leave and go away. And so you show them the actual numbers that are there. And iBuyers are not following that one bit at all completely. I mean, the own article it says is they bought a house for 703000 and immediately listed it for seven fifty three. That doesn't meet Mayo. I mean, commission alone knocks that right back down to what they paid for it. So it's, it was a crazy thing they do. They're not following Mayo. Uh, I mean, these guys are literally unbelievable, uh, the decisions they make. You know, I bought a, to give an example of a house uh, about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago now, um, I bought a house for $90,000. And I put a hundred in it. Okay, so I had one hundred ninety thousand dollars in it. I sold it for three hundred and twenty. So I made a, a gross profit of one hundred thirty thousand dollars. Following our create your own business, create your own your own economics. Right? It met my numbers. It worked. Uh, the homeowner was very happy for their situation. Um, I brought this house into a livable condition for a new person to come in. They bought the home. They got a loan from a bank for three twenty. Uh, and it was probably, you know, top notch dollar. You know, I don't think I left you know any money on the table because people, like I said, seven days or less, that was price or higher on my houses. So it was probably fairly priced because uh, people bid on it. My point to the story is you go to public records on that house and you look at it six months later, I buyers, the, uh, well, an LLC of them bought that house for $380,000 from the people I sold it to. So they bought it from me, fixed up, granite, new roof, new vinyl. There was nothing left to do in the house. For 320000 the uh, I buyer type companies, six months later, bought it from them. And I don't know, I have no idea why, bought it from them for $380,000 six months later. Um, I, and I don't know why. They're, they're, they're not following, you know, make your own economy principles, okay, with it. So I, I, they're just idiots, you know, those types of companies. Can I say that on the air? They're idiots. It's uh, true. Go ahead. Say it. <laughs> okay. They're idiots. Okay. I mean, they're not following formulas. At all. We're seeing the proof right yes, now. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I agree with what Katie's saying. Let's take advantage of it where we need. So for me, it was being on that ground floor of providing that house that was ready to go for them. If they thought they could rent it out, um, you know, like, like Katie said, you look at all aspects. What if something goes wrong? What if I can't sell it and I have to rent it? Okay. Or if I can't rent it, can I sell it? You have to look at multiple exit strategies and you need to have at least, you know, two or three that would work for you. And iBuyers, you know, isn't doing that at all. Yep. 
Hey, why don't we take a, a break for our next sponsor? So uh, one of the best ways to increase your company's brand awareness and increase warm leads is to create written content online. But as we know, content creation can sometimes be a slog. Content creation can be very time consuming and not very cost effective when having to pay professional copywriting fees. It's time to stop spending countless hours writing and paying exorbitant copywriting fees. It's time to use REI content packs. REI content packs, done for you content packs, give you the tools, flexibility, and cost-effective way to increase your brand's visibility and online presence without spending hours or even days stressing on what to create. REI content packs are a collection of high-quality, ready-made real estate blog articles exclusively created for the real estate investing industry. Can you imagine the possibilities? If you could do two or three more deals per month without increasing your ad spend, REI content packs can help you do that. Can you imagine getting unlimited online traffic, increasing your Google ranking, getting more leads, and making more money? REI content packs can help you do that too. To get started increasing your brand's content and lessening your workload, head on over to reicontentpacks.com. That's reicontentpacks.com and tell them you heard it from this month in real estate investing. It's time to get off the online marketing hamster wheel. Try REI Content Packs today at reicontentpacks.com. All right. How am I doing, guys? Awesome. <laughs> this is so, so good. Excellent. Yeah, such a pro. We never would have known it was your first show. You just... Rocking it. Act like you own the place. <laughs> yeah, right. This is fun. All right, let's get into the next news item. I love this title. New Yorkers are stupid for moving to Texas, Florida. Wall Street's Dr. Doom says, uh, this is in the New York Post. Um, so they're basically saying that, you know, Florida is getting flooded. Texas is going to be too hot. And, uh, Let's see, so this is coming from the senior economist who earned the nickname Dr. Doom after correctly predicting the 2008 financial crisis and has ridiculed transplanted New Yorkers for stupidly re relocating to Sunbelt states during the pandemic. Um, he's saying it was wiser to relocate to the Midwest. Um, thoughts? <laughs> Well, I, I mean, we're Floridians, as we mentioned before, and um, I would love if New Yorkers decided that they wanted to go back to New York or go, you know, to the Midwest. Um, some of their ideals are, are not, you know, what Floridians are necessarily looking for. Um, of course, we welcome everyone. But yeah, I, I think... Um, People, again, in panicked situations, like recessions are caused by panic. Like, you know, depending on your thoughts on crypto and, <laughs> and the stock market, all of those things, like it's panicked people. Well, of course, it's very wealthy people that are kind of tipping the scales the way that they want it to go, honestly, um, in my opinion. But it's, it's a panic situation. And so it's like New Yorkers, you know, like 
there are many that have flocked to Florida in our neighborhood. There's also Californians that have come to Florida and they've purchased homes in our neighborhood, sight unseen, well over ask. And I mean, I'm talking like the homes that are right there in our neighborhood are selling for three, $400 a square foot. And like, they don't even blink at it because of course the cost of living in California is so high. So it's like they're, they, they want to get out of the boiling pot. And so they're like just jumping and they don't really care where they land. And so, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of just, really using common sense. I believe that God gave us a brain, a very high functioning brain for a reason. You know, there's things like computers are incredible, but I don't think computers will ever really be able to do what the human mind does because it was created by an infinitely awesome God. And so, um, yeah, I, I think it's kind of a snap decision you know, they don't they don't want to be in lockdown or they don't want this or that that was happening in New York. And so they're just going somewhere else. But it's like, let's actually get to the root of the problem instead of just trying to jump from one boiling pot into something else that's just an unknown, you know, and, and allowing fear and panic to rule the way that you live your life is never going to bring about a good result. And and I think, you know, with with like the market kind of tanking in like New York City, we have friends who have a beautiful condo in Trump Tower and they were actually trying to sell it at a loss because um, they were just excited to get out of it. They're incredible real estate investors, major private money lenders, um, very wealthy mentally in, in every single way. And, um, you know, at that point they were like, we just want to sell it at a loss. Just the issues with, um, like, uh, Trump being president and just being in Trump towers and like vandalism and different things like that. But they've actually held on to their investment. And I think that that was a really wise move. Like rather than just jumping ship, see how you can create, um, a new strategy to be able to kind of be on the rolling wave instead of allowing yourself to be pinned under the wave and have the tumultuous roll of the wave crush you by the coral. You know, I think, I think people just need to think for themselves and they need to stop allowing the fear mongering and also stop the herd mentality. Like when I see people running this way, like we very much live lives that are counter to a lot of people that we grew up with family members, all of that. And, and they're actually starting to really take note. And it's like, oh, like I noticed the Hugheses are always doing it this way. And I've always mm -hmm. done it this way. Maybe I should take another look. Yeah. And the question there is Sarasota showing unlivable coastline damage. Not at um, all. No. And we've actually talked to local people because this kind of ties into the whole weather, you know, Florida flooding, storms, everything. People who've lived there for 60 years and we've talked to them about how the coastline has changed. And even yeah, Katie Marie's yeah. family, they've grown up on yeah. um, Lake Michigan and it's been cyclical historically mm -hmm. where, yes, over a decade, it might be however much in or out. But but over time, it's not been measurably different beyond, of course, the, those cycles um, like her parents, even when they were children, they talked about like where the coastline was versus now. And, it, it, and you know, there's not been anything that we've ever seen or heard, especially where we're at. It's unique because there's a there's a 
any of you all have been there or seen it, it's really unique because there's how many islands, keys right there? 13. 13 islands, barrier keys. Within like five miles, I yeah, think. Yeah, islands right there in the Sarasota yeah. area, um, right there on the coast and right off the coast there. So um, even with those, it hasn't been, because I always wondered that too. I'm like, man, these houses are right <laughs> on the water. Like if the ocean level changed much at all, like these houses, this land wouldn't exist and they're investing millions and millions of dollars. But, you know, it's always been there for the, as long as we can see back. And um, so we haven't, there hasn't been any, any change or damage on the coastlines that we're aware of. Yeah. It's more beautiful than ever. We were just out there before we took off on our trip. Go for it, Tim. Yeah. So anytime I'm reading an article by a dude nicknamed Dr. Doom, I'm going to question <laughs> the source, right? I mean, um, so Look, I mean, I'm not a scientist. I'm not going to tell you whether or not Texas is going to be too hot in 20 years or if the Florida coastline is going to be gone. But what I could tell you is right now, Florida and Texas are two of the hottest markets in the country. And I don't know anybody running away from those two markets. Now, would it be a good idea to diversify? Probably not a terrible idea to have some investments in the Midwest. But I mean, I I see no reason to be afraid of purchasing in Florida or Texas or or really anywhere for that matter, just based on what this guy's saying, especially because of a nickname. You know, I mean, it's just for me that immediately throws up like 10 red flags. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. I think having a diverse portfolio is a, is a wise decision because, you know, this may actually happen. But um, I don't see anybody running away, so I, I'm not going to run away. David Randolph. Yeah, I mean, I think you hit it, Tim, right on nail on the head. I mean, Dr. Doom, what kind of name is that? I mean, you know, you, you go back to the Bible, the name is very important. And, and so I don't know why you would pick a or, or get a name of Dr. Doom, because, you know, that it means you're just having to uh, predict or make it up every time you, you say anything. Right. So, you know, has he ever said anything good about anything? Uh, and so you have to look at, you know, what is that, uh, what's his background, what's his knowledge um, and stuff. And so to say that, you know, Florida will be underwater uh, is a bigger catastrophic issue than, you know, deciding whether you should diversify into gold or stocks or anything. We have a bigger problem if Florida's underwater and if uh, Texas is too hot, you know, to survive in. OK, I, I think it just runs your electric bill up. And, and like, for example, uh, in my opinion, Arizona's always been too hot anyway. People live in Arizona all the time. And I thought it was too hot to survive there as it was. But, you know, it's uh, I guess I shouldn't complain too much since I'm in the Midwest and I got some houses I can sell him in St. Louis. So come to St. Louis, Mr. Dr. Doom. I've, I'll, I'll provide housing for you there with it. So, yeah, I think it's kind of, uh, uh, as Katie says, that sensationalism, you know, in the, um, you know, big uh, mainstream news uh, areas, basically. And if I can just add one one more thing, um, David, like you just mentioned, it's well, it's just hilarious to me because if we, again, use common sense and Florida is underwater, what do you think the rest of the country or the world is looking like? I don't think that you're going to be like, oh, man, shucks, I wish I wouldn't have moved to Florida. Like, hello, people. If the tide rises, then uh, the Lots continent. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't think you're going to be worried about uh, your investments in Florida or Texas, you know, being too hot again. Yeah, we have a way bigger issue on our hands if that ends up happening. And, you know. Like, 
living in fear, as David mentioned, is constricting. It doesn't allow for expansion and, and healthy things grow. So it's like if, if we're going to live in a state of fear, we're never going to get out of our comfort zones. And there's no growth in the comfort zones. There's no comfort in the growth zone. And so we have to take those calculated risks. I mean, why did any of us get out of bed? Have you guys looked at the statistics? 100% of humans are going to die, people. Like, why are we doing anything? We should be, you know, cuddled up in our mama's arms and sucking on a bottle so that we can be comforted. We really have to, to take risks. That's the beauty of life. And that's what faith is, you know like the evidence of things that are not yet seen. And so living out of fear is just, it's never going to do us any good. And if Florida's underwater, I mean, hey. A lot of other places are underwater. Yeah. Florida's <laughs> underwater. <laughs> oh, and, and if I could just add one more thing. So we live two miles from the water. And uh, with everything going on with Hurricane Ian and, you know, they'll, they'll talk about storm surge, which is basically kind of similar to like a, a little like a small um, tsunami kind of a thing where like, you know, the hurricane is twisting and it pulls up water with it. And then basically just like huge waves of water that can be 8, 10, you'll hear like 15 foot storm surge, 20 foot storm surge, that kind of thing. Um, so we were actually talking with a neighbor when we had gotten back down into town and um, our area, number one, our house is actually built up a little bit on a hill and you wouldn't even really notice it if you're just passing by, but actually looking at it, you'll see that our home is higher than the majority of homes in our neighborhood. And our neighbor had really uh, dove into it. We have different uh, flood zones and we're in D, which is the least likely to ever flood. And our neighbor actually shared with us that there would have to be, I think between a 25 and 30 foot storm surge, which would mean 30 feet of water would have to flood um, in order for our home to be underwater. And so, you know, you think about Florida and it's like, oh my goodness, it's so scary. I can't imagine if it was eight foot storm surge while I live at sea level, like that would absolutely flood my home. But when you dive in and you do the research and understand, like we're actually way higher than sea level. And so we, we live two miles from the water, yet our home like unless there's just a crazy natural disaster it is not going to be taken out by a flood. We'll say that. Gotcha. Let's jump to our next news item, unless you guys had something else to add. Oh, all right. So this will be our last news item and we'll wrap up. So uh, home flipping is down and those that remain are looking for cash investors. Source was Benzinga. Um, this is the demise of a formerly hot home market torn apart by increasing mortgage interest rates is now beginning to affect a once thriving home flipping environment. They've got some data from Adam dives into that. Um, they do also say anybody that's flipping right now needs to be looking closely at the pricing of the property, price it to sell. Uh, today is not the time to get greedy. Uh, this is from Capital Fund One President Noah Brocious. Um, they're a, a hard money lender. So I, I know my my personal experience here in the Denver market. You know we've got some pretty experienced flippers that overestimated what they thought the market was going to be. 
uh, and now they're sitting on some homes and trying to get out of these hard money loans. So what are you guys seeing and, and how are you adapting? Well, I think the, the biggest word, the most powerful word that you just mentioned is adaption, adapting, you know, so I, I don't think that it's smart to be married to any one hard and fast. I'm only going to flip homes and, you know, that is going to be the way that I'm going to go. You really have to look at the market. You have to look at what people are wanting, you know, because there's there's a lot of different factors. There's a lot of different dynamics, as you mentioned, you know, mortgage rates, all these different things. People aren't purchasing homes. And so you're flipping a home and you're sitting on it and you've got all of those real hard costs that are just like coming out of the piggy bank every single month. And so I just absolutely believe that adapters innovators, people who are willing to maybe take a different approach, even for a temporary season, those are the ones that are actually going to be rising to the top and they're going to be the ones who survive. And so, you know, if somebody has like a super hot flipping business, actually one of our panelists is incredible. She went from absolutely nothing, invested um, tens of thousands of dollars into mentorship, money she didn't have. And now she's doing seven figures plus and, you know, a year and profit yeah, and flipping has yeah, an automated. incredible team, all of that. But so we actually went into her. Uh, she has coaching as well on her own. Um, we came in and, and she interviewed us and we just shared some some nuggets with her. And she just said, wow, you guys are like really really making me think differently. And her students as well were making comments and asking questions. And so I think it's great to have like a backpack of a bag of tools, right? Because you just don't know what's coming next. And so if you're just hard and fast flipping and you're running out of cash because you're sitting on properties, how can you just innovate? How can you maybe just put those, you know, become a landlord or, or, or don't even worry about the whole landlord game and do property management and get a really good property management in there in place so that you don't have to focus on that. And you can still potentially do your flips. But again, it has to be the right margins. It has to make sense even in a recession. And so I think like people just need to get smart, like the, the human brain we we're so good at adapting we analyze things and, and we know dangers coming over here it seems like and so I, we should run from the bear because the bear's over here so why would it be any different with a constantly changing market david randolph did did you see in the chat yeah um have i experienced any issues over the last few months related to this article as a flipper um, you know, people ask me all the time, what do you think of this economy? What do you think of the real estate market and this and that and stuff? And, and you know, and I told my story in the beginning, you know, all my renovated houses uh, have sold in seven days or less at this price or higher for 10, for 12 years. So my answer to that question of what the economy is doing is, hey, don't ask me what the economy is doing. Just tell me when there's less than one buyer, because I just need one buyer for my house. It's ready to go. It's beautiful. It's renovated. Nothing. Everything's new. I just need one buyer. OK, so for me, I've always focused on that, making the house the best possible you can. The only thing I would probably offer as advice is you make your money when you buy the house. OK, so 
How are you buying your houses? That's what can change for you over time. Let's take the example of uh, those uh, real estate investors who are buying on the courthouse steps, the foreclosures, right? Okay. Well, they were out of business for 18 months due to the CARES Act and the forbearance on the loans. And so, you know, you, those people would have to switch. So you have to have a method of buying houses that meets the economy where you're at so that you're buying and making money at the moment you bought the house. Your exit strategy should be you can always sell the house. I mean, you know, this economy, unless Florida gets completely underwater, right, you know, there's always going to be somebody buying a house. Okay. So therefore, as an entrepreneur, you're targeting what are they looking for, what do they need, and selling it at a fair price. All of my houses were sold above list, you know, from the perspective that it was listed at a fair price. So I never projected the ARV, the after repair value. I never projected that the ARV would be something different. I projected what it was at right now in the market and then get that house done and on the market as fast as possible so that the comps you use, the sold comps you used were still valid. Okay. You know, so hopefully things don't go so far down the tubes in three months, you know, that your ARVs no good. So it's a more, I think, a question of knowing how you're buying your houses. And so for me, as I said earlier, I do short sales. And that's a great method right now because there are 1.2 million delinquent homeowners. We talk about this uh, tsunami of, of foreclosures. I don't think and I don't want a tsunami of foreclosures to come because um, I don't want the bank to foreclose on everybody and now they own the house. Okay, I would rather it be a slow moving river. And so I can step in through the short sale and the banks are dumping the houses right now. Okay, because they have other reasons for selling. Okay, they're not rehabbers. They don't want to own any houses. They've got non-performing loans. They've got balance sheets. And you can take advantage of that uh, in today's market because of 1.2 million delinquent homeowners. Now, and on top of it, with the uh, inflation and the cost of food and gas, there are more people now missing their house payment adding to this 1.2 million delinquent loans. So it's a question of picking the right method to buy your house. And then it's not gonna matter what this article is talking about, as long as you have one buyer for your house at a fair price. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Tim, did you have something to add? Um, sure, I mean, there's not a ton to add because I mean, what David just said was pretty much nail hitting or hammer hitting nail, right? So I mean, yeah, I mean, if I'm buying a flip right now, I might be a little bit more bearish on my ARV. But as David said, I'm going to make sure that I'm purchasing it with equity, right? So I mean, I'm going to have some cost basis, I'm gonna have some savings built in, just in case everything goes wrong. So um, really, if you have a great team, if you know how quick they could get in and quick and how quick they could get out, you could still base numbers off of these current market values. And you might end up selling for a little bit less right now. Um, obviously, I'm in Chicago. We have winter market. It goes down every year anyways. So now is not an ideal time for flipping in my market, but that doesn't mean that it's like that everywhere. So, I mean, I'm super bearish with flipping right now. I'm looking at other strategies because um, I feel like especially like seller financing with a wrap. I mean, there is no shortage of people right now that have bad credit and high income. So, I mean, these people are so easy to find. Like, that's just a better strategy for me right now. I feel a lot safer with that. But like David said, if, if you're buying the property correctly, you could still flip in this market. But I mean, I know people that are projecting um, the ARVs right now, they're looking at three years back. 
So, I mean, some of the people on the show that we've interviewed, they're they're super bearish on, on what it looks like right now. But as long as you have a quick turnaround time, you could still get it done right now. But I mean, it's no surprise to me that there's less flippers right now because, I mean, that's what the market is showing. <laughs> the market's in a decline. So you should be more cautious. Yeah. Speed is very important in flipping. Uh, guys, this is freaking awesome. I'm super glad you came on and gave us your perspective. And I hope it was valuable for all the, the viewers. Um, we're going to do outros. So just kind of give a little wrap up each, each one of you with some contact info. And then we'll get to our sponsors and call it a day. Um, David and Katie, you want to start it off? Yeah, thank you so much again, yes. Antonio and James, for having us on your show here. And and uh, it's just great what you guys are doing, educating people. Um, and so we, we're thankful to be here. So, yeah, contact. You can go. We have a free community with valuable uh, trainings, live sessions, a bunch of cool things. If you go to www.kingdomwealththroughrealestate.com. Um, as well as our main site is, is www.simplifiedinvesting.com. Um, and so, yeah, connect with us. We'd love to connect with you, help in any way we can. We have a live event coming up in Sarasota, Florida in February. So if you're watching this now or on replay, we'd love to have you. Um, so check that link out. There's amazing speakers and attendees for you to connect with, learn from, collaborate with fund your deals, all of that. Um, so you're all invited to that. Um, check it out. Uh, the link to that, the live event site is uh, simplifiedinvesting.com forward slash SI live, like Sally ice cream live. Um, so we'd love to see you, meet you and, and um, amazing people you can connect with there and learn from. Fantastic. Um, and by the way, stay on after the show. We'll have a little wrap up. Um, David Randolph. Yeah. Hey, this was a lot of fun. Okay. Um, I really enjoyed this. The, um, Antonio, uh, thank you very much for putting this together. James is very nice to meet you for the first time. You did excellent for your first show. Uh, you know, there's no cue cards for you. you you're kind of going along and doing a great job. And I really enjoy the other guests. Um, it's amazing. And this is a tribute to Antonio. Okay. He knows people. And, and I love these other two guests. We've had some very good conversations and very good viewpoints uh, with it and stuff. And so this was a lot of fun for me. So I thank you for, for inviting me on here. Um, and so for people out there, you know, um, you know, if you want to contact me, I have a website, thedavidrandolph.com. Uh, and stuff. And so you can go there and find out what I do and how I can help you. But my heart is to help, you know, you be successful like I've been in real estate. You know, um, you know, I've got a lot of money in my retirement accounts and I made a lot more money that wasn't there. That's just money my wife didn't spend. So real estate is a way for you to have financial freedom. And I want to help people do that. And my ways are I can teach you how to do short sales and I can you know, help lend money to you. No credit score. There's a lot more to it. So probably the easiest thing is if you text the word short to my phone number, 636-685-2990, I'll send you a video and slides on short sales about how I do them. Uh, or you text the word lend, L-E-N-D, to my phone number. And I don't do it at the moment because I'm speaking, right? But, you know, after this, or I guess if it's recorded, you can text it to me right away. But text lend to 636 685 
1-800-242-2990, and I'll send you my four-page lending document. There's a lot that comes with that, my SKU numbers, my material suppliers and stuff. So I want you to be successful in that. And I lend all across the United States uh, with it. And so that's probably the easiest way. Just uh, go to the website, thedavidrandolph.com. Thank you very much. Awesome. Tim Winfrey, Jr., all right. So if you're looking to buy or sell in the Chicago area, you could just Google first class real estate, Great Lakes, and that'll go right to my assistant and we'll take care of you. Um, in ways to find me online, I would just Google the Freedom Chasers podcast. Um, that is um, a, a passion project of mine. We're not really monetizing that at all at the moment. We are just interviewing awesome real estate investors throughout the country and talking about what they're doing. We do things a little bit differently. We like to talk about the challenges and things of that nature because failure is the way. So, I mean, we would like, we'd like to highlight that because every single guest that we've spoken with has failed multiple times. I think I feel like the ones that have failed the most have ended up having the most success. Um, so we like to highlight that a lot. There's also a free Facebook group where we put a lot of content in that is just the Freedom Chaser Sales and Investing Group. You could find that on Facebook. And yeah, um, we are just here to inspire as many people to live their lives in passion, purpose, and to find financial freedom. Fantastic. Uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, thanks to our sponsors, Jason Palliser's Today Investment Blueprint and REI Content Packs. To subscribe, follow, and stay in touch with this month in real estate investing, visit this month in real or find the show on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for watching and subscribing. And always know that when one door closes, another door opens. Thanks, guys. <laughs>